HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This piece has been brought to you by Bonnie Plants, bonnieplants.com. This is Mike Edison, host of Art Senses of Seizures. You're listening to the Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, please visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. You have tuned in to the Heritage Radio Network. We are coming to you, as always, live from the back of Roberta's Pizza here in Bushwick, Brooklyn. You've tuned in to the Farm Report. I'm your host, Erin Fairbanks. Off air, I am the executive director of the Heritage Radio Network. But on air, as host of the Farm Report, I talk every week with movers and shakers in the food and agricultural world. And today is no different. Um, We're happy to have back in the studio Rodney Dow, uh, to continue our conversations on bees and beekeeping. Rodney, thanks for joining us. Uh, nice to be here, Aaron. Nice to be back. Yeah, right? Well, so all, thi- all things bee-worthy. I was thinking since um, we last talked about kind of my first introduction into the wide world of honey when I was working at, at Zingerman's Delicatessen in Ann Arbor, Michigan, they had a whole honey section with honeys from all around the world, um, you know, honeys from different seasons, but also honeys with that had kind of like different flavors or different flowers noted. And I thought we might jump off our our conversation today talking a little bit about um, kind of control. So as the beekeeper, um, you know, what is your kind of like, uh, what is like your power over controlling the kind of end product that we think of as of beekeeping, which is honey? Can you make different flavors or, or where do those flavors and things come from? Okay, that's a uh, that's a good question, and uh, and uh, we divide. Let's say we're just going to divide the honeys uh, into two types: processed and unprocessed. And uh, clearly, the uh, unprocessed honey is the best for you, and also has the most aromatics and flavors. Um, so now the next thing is, how do you separate out the flavorings? Um, it's done. In, it's it's primarily in the natural world, in making natural honey. Basically, you would be growing a predominantly one monoculture crop or you have a, an area where it has, uh, for example, buckwheat honey. That's one of the easiest and classic honeys to produce. And it's a, it has a taste unto itself. It's a very dark-colored honey. 
It's uh, some people love it, and some people say yeah, it's a little strong. It's, it has a little bite to it, but it's a lovely honey. I particularly like it on on waffles or pancakes. It's a pretty intense honey. So how do you do that? Well, you would set up your hives, and you maybe plant five acres or ten acres of pure buckwheat. Buckwheat is you know it's not a weed. It's not a grain. It, it, it's it's a dicot. It's a, and it's a wonderful cover crop. And to improve fertility and organic level, they um, put and plant buckwheat. What's nice about it, it comes up very quickly, and it goes in the flower in a very short period of time, and they get about three to four feet tall, and they produce a tremendous amount of nectar. The bees just love honey. And you put a hive next to the buckwheat honey, our buckwheat plants, they will not touch anything else. They will just go after the buckwheat honey. Once the honey or the buckwheat reaches its stage and then the flowers start falling off, it's over with. That's when you would go into your hive and remove that honey, and you can you can identify it because you'll see frames where it's dark, and it's not a hundred percent because there'll be a few other bees that stop in other plants and flowers, but it'll be predominantly uh, buckwheat and give it that flavor, and uh, and then you extract that, and then you can list it as um, as a marketable buckwheat honey or. Do whatever you want because there's nobody telling you you can't do it or not. Right. <laughs> but, uh, for myself and eat on my pancakes. <laughs> yeah, and one other thing too, you have to be aware though that some people flavor the honeys. They're not really naturally uh, uh, naturally flavored. Uh, there is some people that just flavor honeys, and they will add flavors to it. And they say that well, and you have to read the fine print. But really good natural honey should be say this is from buckwheat. Uh, this is buckwheat honey from buckwheat plants. Well, that's like the like honey has uh, a its own terroir essentially because mm-hmm. whatever the the bees are making is a reflection of its like sense of place right so if if you're looking at kind of a, a smaller scale non-commercially produced honey the honey that you you raise and versus the honey that your neighbors raise mm-hmm. i mean how those are going to taste different or yes the the mix it all it has a lot to do with there's several factors that that impart flavor First of all, unprocessed, when honey gets processed, it just, the aromatics, which is what makes that natural honey really spectacular, it just goes poof. It just gets, because they heat it up, process honey, they heat up at 160 degrees, as I mentioned the last time I was here, that to keep the honey from crystallizing. But you lose, one thing I didn't mention was, you lose all that aromatic. Uh, aromatics that are in, that's so unique to that honey. When you get back to local beekeepers, Everyone will be a little bit different, and I have a rule with every new beekeeper I work with, and if they go and start raising bees and they're successful, every year we swap honey, and I always make extra honey that I swap out people because I want to always taste these different flavors, and they are as different as night and day. They have the beautiful aromatics, but it could be completely different because it depends on what in that area and uh, bees can go out as far as three miles, but I think most of it's within a mile to a mile and a half range. What, what was the mix of flowers? What was blooming? Uh, was there enough moisture? They had more moisture, so they had a longer nectar season. So it's a it's a it's a wild card, but you get a mix. And some years it's always good, but some years are spectacular. 2013 for the honey at Glenwood was probably one of the best honeys I've ever tasted. Uh, I take my honey off. There's two times to do it. If you want to have really light-colored, fragrant, uh, real spring-smell flowers, honey, you take it off in June. Uh, and you, Because what you're really picking up, you're going to pick up basswood, and you're going to pick up dandelions. Dandelions are really productive for producing quite a bit of honey. And honey locusts. 
honey locust is another real it's a locust tree and they blossom with white flowers uh they usually start around the uh, third weeks of may towards the end of may and they'll go into maybe the middle of june and i usually do my extraction towards the end of june first part of july and you'll get all those wonderful spring flowers so it is aromatic and it's light and it's delicious only thing is uh, if it has a lot of dandelion in it, it crystallizes real quick. Uh, and then there's another sector of the year, which is in the fall. And uh, the way nature's kind of designed things is they give make sure the bees have enough to get out there and uh, fill up the honey if they their hives if they need more honey. And you have that profuse blooms of asters or goldenrod, as it's called. And that honey is a little um, uh, a little darker in color. It's a little, uh, little has a little more of a earthy taste to it a little stronger uh one other interesting thing we have an invasive species um uh that um uh, uh we have around the moist areas and lakes and marshes um that uh, has a purple flower and i've just uh, the name just slips my mind right now but i'll think of it before, hopefully before done here however the bees love it and it produces a dark honey that is quite intense and very uh purple loose stripe uh, that's the, and it, it's an invasive species but brought here back in the turn of the century to use as a forage food for cattle, and it's taken over the marshes here. But if you live near wet areas where there's a marsh and it's profusely filled with purple loosestrife, you put in some hives there, you get some incredibly interesting uh, honey from it. It's a very unique taste. So we we talked about you know honey from different um pieces of property even as as short in distance as a you know a mile away is going to taste different but also annually year to year the production the the flavor profile will change based on kind of the weather and other like mood factors essentially yes cuz you if you if you're, you you have the apiary and you have a number of hives and you're working in the same area year in year out uh, they, they some years are a little bit better than others. They're just um, the flow. You have more honey some years than others. You have different, you know, the flavors are. It's always like I said. It's always good, but some are just like wow. This yeah. is this really is delicious. Well, so that kind of brings me to the like extraction process. So you know, in the last show, we talked about kind of the equipment that you would need to set up your hive and, and kind of getting things going. Um, we kind of skipped over like hive like maintenance, um, so I want to talk a little bit about that that what what that process looks like, what maybe those terms are, and then kind of get into when it's time to um, you know check if your honey is no longer green honey and ready to harvest what that looks like so okay well you know we what we want to do we have our, make, we have, assume we have our bees established and, and I go through particularly towards the end of May first part of um, June and I want to make sure that uh, that there's enough room to expand because if there's not enough room to expand they will swarm in which the queen will set up house and they she will depart with a lot of the old bees so that's the swarming process is the queen is just like it's crowded I'm out of here that's correct okay. and they leave behind a bunch of new cells where queens will hatch out or one will hatch out the first one out hatches out goes around and kills all the other queens and then she hangs around the hive and for a few days and then she flies outside and breeds with the drones comes back and um, sits around for another few days and as she as she ripens and then she begins her life of laying eggs so if you can 
prevent that from happening by watching the bees. So I usually every week I'm in my hives. I take a quick look at them. Okay, they're expanding. I'll bring in a new box of, or a super with all new frames in there, and I'll mix it around a little bit, and I'll add, I'll put in some of the frames, I'll put new frames in. So bees won't leave the hive if there's unfilled frames. It's because that's kind of nature's way of making sure when they leave, the new family left behind that's going to be is already stockpiled with food. Right. So you put in new fresh frames, and you build it up, and you can prevent the swarming. Um, so that will enable you to start producing really more honey. And, if, and, and at the same time, that old queen will still keep laying eggs and laying eggs, and the population will grow, which is really what you want. Can I just jump in here? The queen, like... Uh... The, is there such thing as like good queens and bad queens? Absolutely. Okay. Uh, good queens produce a lot of eggs, and bad queens don't. And how can you tell? Well, as queens start to get old, um, what the, you do when you pull up a frame, and this frame, this wooden frame, there's ten of them inside the hive, and it's a wax, uh, it's 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 a rectangle, and uh, you look at the pattern. And when a queen's strong and a good queen, there'll be solid patterns of baby bees being raised. And it's, every cell is filled. When you start getting sporadic holes missing and it looks spotty, the queen is, is, um, is running out of steam. What happens when the queen swarms? She flies way up high in the sky and the drones, which have been sitting outside, the drones go out in the morning and they hang around in, in trees. And it's like the guys at the corner looking for a girl to drive by or walk by, and they can start whistling <laughs> at them. Well, they hang out, and they're looking for virgin queens. And when one comes out of the hive, this is so amazing, their ability to smell. You can be hundreds of yards away, that queen, and they will smell her coming out of the hive. They take off, and up in the sky they go, and they all chase after her. And she goes straight up in the air, go two, three hundred feet. And the one drone that gets up to her, and they breed and copulate, uh, that's... And that's a survival of the he's strongest the Mac thing. Daddy. He's the big he's the big boy. <laughs> anyway, what happens is they fall down to earth and they tumble and when they land, she pulls away and actually pulls out his organs, his uh, reproductive organs, and she flies back to the hive and hopefully finds the right hive and gets in there and the, and the attendant bees will come around and eventually uh, after that thing uh, after her these organs stop pulsating and she's been filled with uh, with sperm, uh, the worker bees will clean her up. Interesting thing is that one experience, she will go on to lay eggs for three years. Three years. Wow. And they, she stores that. And in the height of the season, when there's a good pollen flow and a good nectar flow, you can, she can lay two to 2,000 to 2,500 eggs a day and do that for months. So it's pretty phenomenal. It's beyond comprehension. And the only way she gets to do that is because she eats one thing and one thing only, and that is royal jelly. That is like the superfood of the world. And that's made by a combination of hormones from young nurse bees that's up from a, a little gland that's up in their forehead. And they're mixed with high intensity with pollen and a little honey, and that they feed her constantly. She doesn't go and feed herself. They take care of her and make sure she gets fed. So... Uh, so that's the kind of the idea of how these how these swarms work, and and you know, getting back to you know we we have the honey we take it off in the fall and then we set them up to overwinter and and hopefully we keep our hives going. But it's very important if you can keep your hives from swarming, you can really get some production, 
And uh, last year I had one at, I have hives in different places. I have most of them at, at uh, Glenwood is the nonprofit where I, I'm on the board. Um, the one I had by my house uh, in uh, right in the garrison, New York, uh, I was, I could work on it every day and when I was there and it was easy to get to. And I wanted to see how much honey I could take out of that hive. And I took out 175 pounds from that one hive it was the tallest hive, and I wish I'd taken a picture of it, and I don't know why I forgot to do it, but it was a really tall hive. It was, it was taller than I am, and and, uh, and uh, they produced a tremendous amount of honey, and I left them with at least 100 pounds on the hive when I got done with it. So, if you ma- And that was just managing the queen. This is a second-year or two-year-old queen, and I managed her, and she's done really well, high population. And we'll see how it goes this year. So the what is like the traditional like time run for a queen? Like usually you're gonna work with one queen for how long? About two going in the third year you probably replace it. Well the queen what they'll happen is the hive uh, you have a queen and, and I usually leave them alone. If if I see she's failing, what I do I go through the hive and, and the bees are gonna tell me that she's failing for sure because what they will do, they will build one cell in the center of her frame, someplace in that hive, and that is what we call a super seizure cell. She will, the, the, what they will do, she'll go by that cell and she will not lay an egg in it because she knows that's, that's the end of her, dem- that was her demise. But what the worker bees will do when she lays an egg, they will go in a, in a worker cell, they'll go take that egg out, they'll bring it up and put it into that queen cell. But it has to be three days or less because what they will do, they will fill, they will take that egg, which was going to be a worker bee. They will feed it royal jelly the entire cycle from egg larva going into pupa, and that queen that that bee will emerge as a as a real adult queen. Mm-hmm. Uh, the honey bees, the worker bees, they are undeveloped females, and that all has to do with their diet that was given to them when they got start, when they hatched as an egg. In the beginning, they give a little royal jelly the egg hatch, but they don't continue feeding it all through the larvae stage. If you do that with a with another egg and feed it the whole period of time, you will end up to produce a queen. And so what they'll do is supersede it. And they'll she'll hear that queen coming out, and they'll keep pushing her away and pushing her away. They'll keep her away to allow that queen to come out of that little peanut-type shell. It's a very different type of cell. It's not like your normal cells you see in hives. It looks like a little peanut with pockmarks on it. Okay. That that. That queen will come out, she'll get her feet and get her wings straightened out, and then they go at each other, and the young queen usually has the stamina to kill her. It's so like it's a mystery. It's so like vicious in there. I'm like I'm also like it's so funny to me, like uh, I love the joke being a, you know being a male on the farm is good work if you can get it. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of like same in the bee world, like you know there's just like the, there's like the one Mac Daddy, but other than that, you're kind of s o l that's it. Um, so, and you answered, I think another question of mine is that, um, what determines what role the bees play? So it sounds like it, their role is determined by their diet. It's not that there's different types of eggs or different types of. Well, um, so you have, in, in the cast of characters, you have the queen. There's only one of those. Then the next cast will say are the drone bees. And all their job is to, is to fertilize the queen when there's going to be a swarm or a super seizure. 
And there's, you know, it depends on the season. They can be from a couple hundred to a couple thousand, depending on the size of the hive. And then you have the major cast of characters, which is the unfertilized uh, uh, females, which are the worker bees. When they hatch out of the cell, they go through a series of responsibilities. The first thing they do is they start cleaning up a little bit for a few days and uh, cleaning their hives up and, and getting things organized. And they hang around the queen bee to get her scent and connected to the hive because the hive is all controlled by scent and then they immediately start producing the royal jelly they are the ones that have these glands and uh, that produce the hormones up in their there's up in their head and they uh, secrete that down and mix it with their way they formulate it with bee pollen and a little honey and they feed her they become attendant bees then after attendant bees they can work the hives and start building shell uh, uh, pulling out cells it's the young bees that produce the wax and it comes out of their abdomen and they will start eating nectar coming in the hive, which will stimulate their glands, the wax glands, to produce the wax. And they take and chew on it, and they build these beautiful hexagon shells, with this, uh, shaped cells, which to me is pretty amazing. And they know exactly how deep it has to be and how to with this. And, and it's, a, it's just, to me, an amazing part of nature. And after that, then they kind of grow up, and they get they, some of them maybe the undertakers, which is they go around when bees die, they take them and drag them out of the hive and, and throw them out on the ground and come back on the hive. They keep the hive clean and clean off the bottom of the hive and uh, whatever falls down. They're very tidy. And uh, then they get the great part of going out, and their final act in life is to go out and be gatherers of the nectar. And they also, at one point, may be the guard bees in the hive. They're the ones that protect the entrance of the hive. And, uh, and that's why you shouldn't mess around the front of the hive for too long because you'll get one of them just saying, all right, had enough for you, and they're going to come out, and they'll, give you a, they'll sting it. But they know they sting at the last resort because when they sting, they die. And uh, so they kind of hold back on it. They, they have a reason why they're stinging you. Yeah. Um, well, we are going to take just a short break and we come back. I want to talk a little bit more about the honey extraction process. So hang tight. You're listening to the farm report and we'll be right back. You're listening to anxieties by the landing. This is HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Just live 
Could an app be the answer to a better garden? Absolutely. It's the new free app, Homegrown with Bonnie Plants. Note, track, and photograph your garden's progress. Personalize your weather and reminders. Get variety info, grow guides, hands-free dictation, and more. The Homegrown with Bonnie Plants app. The sharpest tool in your garden. Download it free on the App Store. We are back. You're listening to the Heritage Radio Network. This is the Farm Report. And it's your lucky day because we're getting all the good talk around honey and honeybees with our special guest, Rodney Dow. Um, We are going to jump in in the second half of the show here to talk about um, how you actually get the honey from the beehive. So... Take us through it. How do you get the honey from the hive? Well, first, you got to smoke them, <laughs> and you get in there. Um, but basically, when it comes time to extraction, the first thing you do, you start looking through and look at the frames. And when you can find full frames uh, that ha- are capped over, what, that's really important because honey is the only natural food that never spoils. But the only way it gets there is that the sugar content has to be strong enough that will prevent bacteria or, or fungus to start uh, growing in it. So the bees know that, or they somehow know it. But they, right. what they do, they put the honey, the nectar in the hive, and their fanning cool, dehydrates the hive. And when they get it to the right viscosity, and they keep filling the cell up, and they know when it's ready to be, what they do is cap it over. They put a small, very thin layer of wax over the end of the cell, and this protects it, and it's done. If you take, and when you look for honey, so you can look to find frames, which is probably at least three-quarters percent capped over. You'll see some little green honey with it, but that's okay because if, it, if it's just a small amount, um, you, um, you, it'll mix in and it won't be a, 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 an issue with your honey spoiling. And there's also some tools you can do. You can stick it in and measure the viscosity, but I been doing it so long kind of get a sense of get it, go well, by sight that's okay that's a, that'll work and uh, so what you do you you take them out of hive and you use a brush and you brush the bees away and you smoke them a little bit and you get them off and then you set them in a box uh, uh, actually uh, it's a it's an empty super uh which is one of the large supers and or you just set your frames of of completed um, honey in there and you slide a cover over it and you take off 10 of them and then you move it away and, and store it inside the house where all the windows are closed and the doors are locked and bolted because the bees will smell that honey from a mile away. And if you leave a window open when you're extracting honey, your house will be filled with bees. Really? Yeah, it gets. And in fact, you know, some people I've seen help, they come over and they have a screen door open. And, and I said, What's going on here? You got this thousands of bees on your screens trying to get in and get this honey. <laughs> uh, so you have to be a little careful about that, a little stealthy. And then what you do, once you have your, you've looked through your hives and you have your wax fun, your, your frames, which are filled with honey, the next thing you do is how do you extract it? Well, hold on. I want to jump in here real quick. So the supers are the boxes that we talked about in the last episode. And so essentially for like a hive structure, you could have like a stack of supers. And so when you're, when you're extracting, you know, you're not going to, you're not taking everything. Mm-hmm. You're taking a selection. Yes, what I, what I do is the the first two bottom large supers are I leave them alone. They're the brew chambers where they're going to make a lot of bees. And uh, and a hive uh, that I really want to work for production, I may even add a third brew chamber. But these get very very heavy. They're about ninety five pounds when they're filled with honey or bees, so they're hard to work with. Uh, then above that, I take what's it called medium size or half super, and these are the honey supers. 
and you can put ex queen excluder in in the bottom uh, right above your brood chamber, which allows the worker bees to squeeze up through, but the the queen can get Can't in there. Can't go through. So all those frames will be nothing but solid honey. Um, so solid gold, baby. Yeah, solid that's gold. it. And um, and there's other ways to, to keep the queen out of there, but that's the predominant one that most people use. Uh, so then when you look up there and, the, and it's all capped over and ready to go, you, you, you just start collecting it. And you can have two, three, four, five, six high, and, you're, and each one of those will probably produce about 20 pounds, 18 to 22 pounds of honey. Depends how well the frames are made and how full they all are. And, um, and that will kind of will affect on it. So you get inside, and what we do is we have uh, – we're going to spin this out like a centrifuge. We're going to pull and blow the honey out of the hive. Oh, out of the frame. I'm sorry, out of the frame. So the first thing we have to do is we have to take that little wax covering off that the bees put on there to keep it nice and neat and protected. So we have – we take a hot knife. It's plugged in. It has a thermostat on it. And what we do, we, it's just like taking a thin slice of uh, bread – and you just start at one side of the frame and you cut right across the face of the frame. And that's your cap, you know, decapping. And you're taking that cap off and it falls down into a bin. It's a little table you design so you can set the frame at an angle and decap it. And then as you do both sides, mm -hmm. you then set it inside the extractor. But the thing that has to be done inside the extractor, those cells are pointed up very slightly upward. Mm -hmm. it, if you looked at them, at a glance, you'd think they were straight out, but they're not. They, so there's a little angle. That's how they're up, built. A little, yeah, yeah, how they're built. Yeah. So it's very important to put them in the extractor properly. So it, it rotates, the centrifugal force rotates to allow that honey to flow out of that angle outward, like a jet stream behind the, the cell. If you put them in the wrong direction and you fire up this extractor, you can have your frame start to explode because it actually is trying to push the honey into the wax foundation. So there's a little trick there, only one little nuance, and then you start spitting your honey, and it smells so good. And uh, one of the traditions that I learned from my old friend Ben Saponis um, was that the first batch of honey, you have a celebration. And that celebration is you get yourself a pitcher, and when you get the honey down on the bottom that's being spun off, and it, it, it actually we call it, it's raining inside the bin. You, you consider a round tub like the size of a garbage pail, which is kind of the intermediate of a small size that's used by, you know, neighborhood beekeepers. When it spins around, as the honey is being pulled, thrown out of the cell, it rains on the side of the wall. You just kind of look down on the side as, if, as the machine is spinning, and you'll see the raining. And once you start building up honey, there's a little valve where you pull it out, and you can jar from it or just put it into a larger container. So you take your pitcher, and you take off and open the valve up, and you put about an inch of honey in the bottom of that nice big beer pitcher. And then you get yourself some good ale, and you take a spoon or, or, or a, a spatula and just swirl it around and mix it up and invite your best friends over to celebrate the beginning of the honey season. Aww. And uh, I do that traditionally every year with all the people that I've trained keeping bees, and I hope it, it's a nice tradition to carry on. So that is really what happens. But from there, I just take the honey as it goes down into the um, extractor. There's a screen layer that just takes out any wax particles or there can be a dead bee or something in there. And it keeps that out of the honey. But I want all the pollen and all that nutrients that are so good for you to go into 
the main container, which I will usually what I do, I put it into a five gallon bucket, which has a uh, particular type of latch in the bottom for filling jars up because you set it up on the counter, you fill it and it shuts off real quickly and right. good cut gate on it. And as soon as I get my honey and uh, within a day or two, I'll be jarring uh, nice clean jars up. I always wash all my jars and clean them and, and have them nice and dry. And I fill them up and get them full. And then you put a label on and, uh, and then you, You're if you want, you can sell it or gift it. I, I don't sell any of my honey. I only gift it. And I use it. It's a wonderful Christmas gift or people that do nice things for you. And, and it's another alternative. If you're going out to somebody's house, instead of bringing a bottle of wine, bring them a jar bring of honey. Bring a jar of honey. So the centrifuge, I mean, to me, in my head, I always imagine it like a giant, like, salad spinner. But is it like, so there's like slots that you, so there's like slots where you load up your frames. Yes. And then you, and you said it's like roughly the size of like a garbage can. Mm -hmm. And then do I just like put a top on it and hit a button and it goes or? Well, that's good. There's a couple of ways to do it. Okay. The first thing is, is that you do, um, there is, there is slots where you line all your frames up and it can be a three frame extractor or six frame extractor. I have one now that's uh, about uh, 40 frame extractor. And uh, it can be done manually where you have a crank on the top and you you spin it around. Uh, and it's kind of fun, but after a while it gets to get a little bit old. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> and then you advance to electric one, but they're a lot more expensive. And, and you, you spin it with electric one, and that's, that's really nice. And you can almost get these frames almost paper dry. And, uh, and then I take them and I put them right back onto the hive again. So and, the frames go back into the hives. And so... Um, if I, if like, you know, you can buy in the store sometimes like the honey comb with the honey, is it, how do you get, how is that different then? That's a whole nother process. Okay. That is a specially designed, um, uh, uh, super and it's a, it's for doing what they call combed honey. And you have, um, there's square ones and there's round ones. And what you do is they have to be constructed. And you have to put them on in the early spring because the bees won't go in, really make them full unless you're on their early spring. So uh, that's one of the things I'll be in the next couple of days. I'll be building a few of those. I try to produce about 50 comb honeys to give away. Um, but that's done completely different. And when you get done with it, it's it's already attached. You, you give them a little piece of wax in there mm-hmm. uh, to get them started. And they pull it out. And, it, and the boxes, the round ones, they'll come out perfectly filled with the cells and it'll be nothing but honey. And then what about, so how do we harvest some of the other products? So like I see, you know, when I go to the green market here in New York City, you can buy the jarred honey, you can buy the honeycombs, you can buy um, the pollen, Mm -hmm. and then you can buy royal jelly. And I feel like there's one more thing I'm not remembering. Propolis. The propolis, yeah. So how do you get those things? Um, the, The pollen, let's talk about the pollen first. Um, as I mentioned earlier, that the pollen is what bees need, need to have and what they eat for nutrition. And they, it goes good with us also. So what we do is that you collect it from the entrance of the hive. You have to put up a, a pollen collector. And basically what it is, is when the bees are out going from plant to plant, they're collecting the male sex cell of the flower, which is, is on the anther. And that is what they make the pollen. That's what pollen is. It's, sex, it's male sex cell uh, grains very very small well the uh, honeybee is covered with hairs and as they go down and do their pollination from uh, from flower to flower it gets on their hairs and it gets it's, it covers their hairs and what they do they periodically stop and they 
groom themselves with their feet. They groom it, and they, they're actually pulling all the pollen together. And then they add a little honey to it, and they roll it and get it in a ball, and they slide it onto one of their hind legs, which has a hock on it, where it's a little department where they can stick that little ball of pollen in. And so it stays there. And by that time, they're pretty much filled with nectar, so they head back to the hive. So when you first put on one of these um, pollen um, collectors, you you don't put your, your how you're going to do it, you're going to make the bees squeeze through a tighter entrance. And as they mm-hmm. try to squeeze through, it pops that pollen ball off, falls down into a, a collecting plate that's in a, in a screen and a collecting plate below it. And that's how you collect the pollen. Oh wow! <laughs> yeah, the bees don't particularly like it. Yeah. But, but it's and they but you don't do it too long. I'll, I'll usually harvest for a week on one strong hive because they need that pollen to raise new bees with. So, but they they always have surplus pollen. Huh. And then once you, you then you have to go out there and gather that pollen and you put it in containers and uh, you want to uh, make sure it's kept in a dry place and. Um, and that's it, and use it to eat. And that's the pollen. Well, what about, yeah, so now, then we have the, what's next? The, uh, let's, or the, the royal yeah, jelly? Yeah. Well, royal jelly, um, I don't know anyone that makes it because it's a very um, challenging thing to do. It takes an immense amount of work, and most of it, believe it or not, is produced in China. Okay. And that, and uh, what they do is they they start and they produce, it's a, it's a, it's a quite a bit of process, but they they create hives where they make artificial queen cells on frames, and they set that in the hive with a, no queen in the hive, and automatically all the worker bees are trying to feed all those queens. Mm-hmm. And they put them on there, and then every other day they take, by hand, they take it out, remove the bees, they flip the cells over, and they use this very, very, very tiny, tiny little silver spoon, and they scoop out royal wow. jelly like a drop at a time. Wow. That's why if you get pure royal jelly that hasn't been diluted with anything, it's, you know, $50, $60 for a, a really small container of it. The other one, uh, propolis, is the bees cover everything in every surface in the hive, including the cells, the outside of the cells and the frames. And basically there's areas along the side of the of your um, uh, boxes that we have your bees in, which... Um, we call supers. You scrape it off with a chisel, and it, and if it's if it's a little bit warm, it's very sticky. But if it's cool, it crack, cracks off really nice and clean. And there are some um, plates you can put in where the bees will kind of cl- try to close them up. Commercially done, but I just go and pick it through the hive. I look for good quality propolis, and that I can tell good quality propolis by the color and the smell of it. And I gather that, and because I use that in making tinctures, it's antifungal, bacteria, um, some people say viruses. Uh, but I make a tincture out of that to take when you're getting like a roughness in your throat. You think you're going to get something, and uh, it works ma- magic. I mean, you just mix it up. It's made with honey. The only way you can dissolve it is with ethyl alcohol. The first thing you do with a propolis, you freeze it so you can pulverize it with a mortar and pistol. Uh, and then uh, you use um, ethyl alcohol to to dissolve it, and that's make your tincture. Um, they did the fine uh, Stradivarius violins. They dissolved uh, propolis, and that's how they finished them off, uh, which is mm. kind of interesting uh, feature about it. And I always wondered if that gives its beautiful resonant sound that made this this these. Uh, uh, violins so beautiful, but they, you can run it in the surface. And if you look at violins, what's the color of them? It's the color of propolis. Oh, I had no idea. Yeah, 
um, and it's and that 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 has a that is actually uh, and and it's incredibly aromatic. It's, it just really smells of the bees when you smell the propolis, and it's a Greek word. Propolis is before the city, and the bees cover the entire hive, the entrance of the hive, everything, every frame. Some of it has microscopic. <laughs> Uh, layers on it, I can only see it uh, like a uh, tinge of color. But I, the propolis is always there. But you, other areas, they will stop it up, or if there's a hole in the hive, they will plug it up with propolis. But they seem to build it around the edge of the boxes, and I go and I know where to find it, and I gather it and um, and collect. I, every year, I collect a jar of propolis to use for making tinctures. Well, sadly, we have come once again to the uh, end of end of our time here, Rodney. It's been so interesting having you. Um, I'm sure we'll have to have you back again because um, I think as you've alluded uh, in today's chat and, and when we had you on last, I think there's like there's a lot of hours of bee talk to be had. So I feel like we're just scratching the surface. But thank you for joining us. It's been really great. Thank you. It was fun. All right, folks, you've done it. You've listened to another episode of The Farm Report. Pat yourself on the back um, and stay tuned for next week uh, when we'll be back at you with more food and farm talk. This show, like all 39 of our weekly programs, is available for free. You can find us on iTunes or Stitcher Smart Radio. We are in the middle of our Kickstarter campaign, so please become a backer. Help us build a new and better website for you and your listening pleasure. Thanks a lot for listening. Stay tuned in. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore radio. You can email us questions anytime at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.